1: Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Brinkinridge, weekdays twelve thirty to three seven seventy CHQR. All right, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Look, analog versus digital. It sounds like a couple of tech geeks in a Best Buy arguing over some piece of equipment or something. But when we talk about digital, we talk about analog. It has some deeper meaning, and and I think it's very relevant to people because. You know, it's about what's real, what matters, what's authentic, what has meaning, and maybe a perception that this digital revolution has kind of taken some some of that away from us. And are people fighting back? Well, our next guest has talked a lot about this, written a lot about this. In fact, his book, The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter, had a follow-up op-ed in The New York Times last week. The headline, Our Love Affair with Digital is Over. Is it really? Joining us on the line, David Sachs, uh, talk about his book and his uh, latest piece. David, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Because it kind of feels like the digital revolution is over. It won. We, we've all just kind of waved the white flag and we're, we're trying to adjust to this new reality. You're saying that's not the case
0: uh yeah I am i I think that um look, the reality is you know we use digital technology all the time. I'm literally talking to you from you know my my iPhone, my just got off my computer where I was doing work. Um, I'm staring at my TV where I watch Netflix. so that's the reality of the world we live in what yeah. what I think has changed is that the, the sort of joy and optimism around digital ha- has, has faded. I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, we really sort of saw it as the solution to all our problems, whether it was, you know, becoming more efficient, making more money, um, or, you know, better transparency in government and bringing forth more democracy. And, uh, and I think we see that, you know, digital works in many ways really great. But it doesn't give us everything we want or need, uh, and, and so many people are, you know, returning or rediscovering analog, whether it's uh, books, pen and paper, notebooks, um, you know, vinyl records, uh, or or things like going to the theater, right? Going to to plays on Broadway, or, or even going to movies.
1: Right, because I mean, analog sounds like kind of a, an esoteric word, but as you describe the terms of this this debate, you're, you're talking about. What you can hold in the palm of your hand, more or less. I realize you can't hold a theater production in the palm of your hand, but it's it's something tangible. It's something real,
0: right? And, and I think it's something that that isn't hemmed in by digital. It's not it's not defined by ones and zeros. You don't need software to access it, right? You can go to the library, you know, anywhere in Calgary, and and, and take out a book, and it doesn't require anything other than a card and you don't need a plug. You don't need the right format. You don't need an account. You don't need a password. You just need your library card. Um, And to read the book, you know, as long as there's light, you can use it, right? Don't spill anything on it. Don't light it on fire. It'll work fine. Right? Um, And and I think that is something that, you know, a couple of years ago, we thought, well, oh, we've improved upon this. We can create a digital version of it that allows you to share it and, and, you know, move it across devices and, and store all sorts of things on it. But we also see now that there's advantage to the, the sort of older physical formats um, that we thought we were replacing and are now, you know, experiencing a revival.
1: Right. You know, it's funny because, you know, when I was young, I used to, to buy comic books and I still have a bunch of them in a box somewhere at home. And it's it, it's a really interesting feeling to, to pick them up and flip through the pages and almost even the, the smell of it can conjure up memories. And it seems like these days that you know, the comic book industry, they've gone really heavily in digital. And I, I don't know, maybe the kids are okay with it, but I don't know if it's a case of, of a you know generational thing, but it just, to me, it feels as though something's missing.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, you say a generational thing, but it, this phenomenon, which I've written about and, and looked at all over the world, I was just in Korea last week talking about it in Seoul, you know, it, everywhere it's been from Calgary to Toronto to the U.S. to Asia and Europe, it's actually been driven by people who are younger, who are you know millennials in their 30s and their 20s and even younger, who are not coming to nostalgia, uh, sorry not coming to analog for nostalgic reasons of this is the way it used to be or the way my parents had it, for them it's almost something new. And so the people who are driving sales of paper books, um, sales in bookstores like uh, you know YG books in, in Calgary, um, uh, records and, and record stores and turntable sales and, and, and all of that is actually the younger generation, those who are known as digital natives who have grown up kind of only knowing digital. To them, you know, there's nothing special about digital. It's just there, like, you know, the air, the sun. Um, and analog prevents something new and and unique that, you know, can build that deeper emotional connection um, that all of us need and want.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to see stores now selling albums. I don't own a record player, and and I don't know if I ever will, Um, but the fact that people do, the fact that there are now stores that devote a lot of shelf space to selling albums, that's a powerful symbol to me.
0: And they're growing, Um, and uh, you know, I I think there are a number of them in in Calgary that I can think of. Um, You know, Sloth Records, and and Hot Wax, and Recordland, you know, a number of them. I, I don't know the Calgary market as well, but you know, I'm sure some of those have opened recently. They're not the, the stores that are around since the 70s, the Sam, the record man. Um, and, and so I think, you know, where there's a desire for stuff, there's growth. And there's opportunity for people not only to buy the stuff, but to sell it, to make money doing it, to build businesses. Yeah. And those are, are, are very important for the cities that we live in because it can't just be, you know, well, we don't need stores because we only have Amazon. Because then what kind of a city do you live in? What becomes of Calgary? Um, you know, it'd kind of be all be like downtown. There's nothing on the streets because everybody's connected by the by the walkways and you don't even you know, need to see anything. You want vibrant neighborhoods like Kensington and, and sort of the market area, um, uh, which are filled with those shops selling things and, and people building a community out of that.
1: Well, that's where it feels hopeless. though. I mean, you mentioned Amazon uh, and, of course, Calgary's like so many other cities are all falling over backwards to try to lure Amazon to our city. It speaks to how big and powerful it is. Uh, these giants like Facebook and Google, they all see things going in a certain direction and uh, they're pushing things in a certain direction. So when when you're up against opponents like that, that's where it starts to feel a little bit hopeless that so we can cling to, to our, our records for now, but uh, are we going to beat these companies?
0: I don't think it's a question of beating them. I mean, these companies are big and fast-growing and some of the biggest companies in the world, but they are not everything. And they're not the sort of, and, you know, the, the end game of, of humanity and commerce in this world, mm, you know, and, and when you think about Amazon, you know, the, it's a great example, right? This is the company that was going to wipe all retailing off the map. And now they bought Whole Foods that are moving into the brick-and-mortar retail world because they realize they can't reach everyone just with stuff online. Um, and so I think, you know, all these stores that have that have opened up, record stores, bookstores in the past – decade, they're doing it full well knowing that, you know, they're going into a market where Amazon is selling their product for cheaper um, with greater selection, but they're able to offer something different and something better. And that's something that Amazon or Facebook or Google can not offer, which is that tangible sense of community and tangible sense of place, something that kind of transcends just, you know, a purely uh, dollars and cents calculation. Um, So while the, you know, indigos and chapters of the world really have to compete on that direct level, with someone like Amazon, because you know, it's just how much of that book there, how much is it, you know, at, at Amazon. Um, something like uh, Yeg Books, um, you know, for them, it's it is um, it is uh, you know, it's about can they build community? Can they do great events? Did they bring in an interesting selection of stuff? And that gives people a real, you know, different sense. Um, it's it's not just a store; it's part of the community.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's powerful, but, you know, there's a lot of economic forces, too. There was a, a story recently here in Calgary, a costume shop that had been open for, you know, 30 years, uh, finally throwing in the towel and, you know, a lot of things going on, the downturn in the economy, property taxes. But a big factor, as the owner said, is, you know, they're competing against Amazon and, and what they've seen <laughs> firsthand in their stores. You get young people who come in, they'll they'll try on certain things and say, OK, this is the one I want. Leave the store, go order it on Amazon.
0: Yeah. And and listen, this is, you know, this is the reality of the economy. It was the reality of the economy when Eaton's was around. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the reality, you know, with with the mail order business um, or or, you know, when big box stores came in and Walmart came in and, you know, the the 90s here to Canada, um, there's always going to be someone you know, trying to undercut you and someone trying to do something better. Um and and it's up to those businesses to find different ways to compete. Um, but they're probably not going to be able to compete on price and selection, the two things that online retailer can do well. They can compete on making you want to go to a store, giving you a sense of sort of a feeling and and, and that tangible sense of community. Um doesn't mean that everyone that does it will be successful, just like every restaurant that cooks food that taste good isn't successful, um, you know, most businesses will fail.
1: Well, yeah, and and so I, I think the point you're making, that it doesn't have to be one or the other, it's not all digital or all analog, that there's some some middle ground that if, if it really matters to us, we can preserve.
0: Of course, and and I think that's the realization that a lot of people are, are coming to, is that we, we we saw things and we accepted them in the kind of, language of digital, which is binary, right? Digital is either a one or a zero, an Apple Apple or a Samsung. There's no midway in between. And and we made this assumption that, oh, well, you know, Amazon is growing, um, you know, digital music is, is, is growing so fast, everything else will be wiped out. And now we're seeing that it isn't the case, that we can have both. And I, you know, and which I'm speaking to you on my iPhone, can then take this iPhone while I go walk to pick up my kid at daycare and listen to Spotify in the way. But when I come home, I can listen to records. Um, and I want to do both because I want the pleasures of one that, that the other one, which may be more efficient, uh, can't give me. Um, and, and that's, you know, the freedom that we have. Um, but I think increasingly what we want as a society.
1: But I think in the years ahead, there's going to be more tension. Uh, There'll be more challenges on this front because you talk about going to a theater, for example, and enjoying that experience. Well, maybe in 20 years, uh, I slip on my my Google VR glasses and voila, it seems to me like I'm sitting in a theater.
0: Of course, but that would be a pretty crappy date night uh, or (laughs) or, or a pretty terrible Mother's Day to to say you're going to go see, you know, Hamilton on your couch and, and never get out, right? We still... We still want to go places and do things. We still want to experience the world we're living in, Um, which is why no matter how good virtual reality gets, you know, reality is still going to
1: be the best thing going. Let's hope so. (laughs) The book is called The (laughs) The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter. David Sachs, thanks so much for joining us here today. appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, that's uh, David Sachs. Again, the book is called The Revenge of Analog, uh, and you can read his latest piece at uh, the New York Times website. He makes the case that our love affair with digital is over. We haven't abandoned it altogether, but there's some pushback from people who want authenticity, which is hard to come by these days. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.